0: Thank you for listening to The Green Majority. This week was a fundraising show for CIUT, so uh, the show is actually a bit choppy because I cut out all of our uh, uh, all of the uh, begging for CIUT money. Uh, you are still absolutely encouraged to go and donate to the Spring Membership Drive if you can, uh, but just to remind you as well that if you would like, you can also donate directly to The Green Majority at patron, P-A-T-R-E-O-N, Dot com slash GreenMajority. Uh, and also please join us next week for our 500th episode party, which you can find information about that at GreenMajority.ca. Uh, without uh, any other interruptions, please enjoy the Green Majority show this week. you're listening to The Green Majority here on CIUT 89.5 FM. Today we're going to go through some news in a minute. Uh, we're also going to hear from Angela Bischoff from the Ontario Clean Air Alliance in just a moment. Also, we're going to be joined by Tim Nash, the sustainable economist uh, and title holder for most ever visits to The Green Majority uh, or being on the show uh, as well. Without further ado, let's get to some content. So I'm currently sitting in the studio with Angela Bischoff. Thank you for, for joining us uh, today, Angela.
1: Thank you. It's an honour.
0: And uh, we're going to be in – after the Fierce Music Break, we're going to be talking a bit more about specifically why I asked you specifically to come in today uh, and join us. Uh, One of the campaigns that the OCAA is uh, currently – uh putting out i i've been on your mailing list for quite some time uh there's a particular reason why the email i got last week uh particularly interested me and and uh and i really appreciate the information we're going to get specifically to that though after the first music break for the moment now uh you are going to help me talk a little bit about some of the news so the first news story i'm just going to outline it and then we'll i'll throw to you for comment Uh, the first news story and i think a lot of people probably saw this if you were uh on social media and you uh, were able to get through the absolute deluge of tweets about the uh, uh, Sanders v. Clinton debate last night, you may have also noticed that the biggest coal giant in the world, Peabody Energy, has filed for bankruptcy. Uh, This is, uh, I think, correctly being uh, hailed as a Economic indicator, this is not a case of simply a you know an old business. Times are changing maybe they didn 't you know they didn't they didn 't get a website fast enough. This really is I think it is very fair to say, and I think the analysis that i 've been reading is fair to say that this is a very large indication of a change in the global economic uh, relationship between investment and energy. Uh, coal is of course. Uh, and of course, you know, Angela is here and we're going to talk a little bit about nuclear energy later and about some of the alternative, you know, the balance and, you know, some of the issues are very, much more clear cut and some of them are a little more sticky about how do we get an energy balance and these are very complex questions. A question that is not complex is should we be using coal? The answer is no. Coal is really, really horrifyingly nasty stuff. It's very dangerous and toxic to mine. It's very dangerous and toxic to burn, even if it wasn't one of the worst, if not the worst possible contributor to climate change uh, emissions. Even far worse, I hate to say it, than the Alberta oil sands. So uh, this is a I I don't want to say it's a win. Uh, but I think it is a piece of news that I'm not unhappy about. Uh, I do not wish to see people lose their jobs, but if people are uh, employed by a company that is actively creating harm for everyone, both the employees and not, uh, I have a hard time being sad that the company is gone. I do hope those people find other jobs. Uh, but I think the big thing here, and Angela, the thing I want to throw to you on for comment here, is uh, one of the comments I think here, even though. Um, you know, I, I didn't warn you about this story, so I know you haven't read up too much on the details of this particular case, but there is, a, there is a tangential issue here, which I think will relate to your area of expertise very, very easily. And that is the fact is that a lot of the concern now, uh, aside from the uh, applause that this company is going away, or rather the indication, what this indicates about the market it, uh, is indicating, uh, is the concern about the billions of dollars, and that's billions with a B, billions of dollars in cleanup liabilities from these companies' activities that are outstanding. And whether or not these uh, during these bankruptcy proceedings uh, that this uh, these billions of dollars in mine cleanup, uh, unfunded uh, $900 million in Wyoming alone, is simply going to be once again shirked onto the back of the local population and the taxpayer, or if this is simply going to go uncleaned up and continue to poison people uh, into the future. So without too much uh, specific awareness of this campaign, but I, th- I feel like you would have something to say about just the general issue of sort of knockoff effects. So it's not just about, you know, how much are we paying for energy? It's about, you know, what about all the other dangers? What about all the other associated things? And also what about all the other associated costs? So perhaps you could draw a parallel for us there.
1: Well, it's not only the coal industry. It's the tar sands industry that's that we expect will go bankrupt as well. And it's the nuclear industry, which is already going bankrupt. Arriva and EDF in in France are facing the same challenges. And, you know, we have over 400 nuclear reactors around the world that are all old. And they're going to be shut down as lower cost green energy comes online. And all the private investments are going into green energy now. Mm -hmm. So the whole world is facing a, a dump Of All these different old energy sources that are going to be abandoning these sites around the world. It's a a global issue, you know, that we're going to be paying for a long, long time, especially in the case of nuclear energy, which, you know, we haven't figured out what to do with the waste, Mm. uh, which has to be isolated from the environment for a million years.
0: Well, and the other sort of just general theme here is the idea of when people are, you know, when people are reading mainstream media news about these topics, um, they often do not do a very good job of talking about... Uh, Sort of the complicated back end, right? So what we'll see when we're reading about whether we're talking about uh, coal power or whether we're talking about nuclear power, whether we're talking about wind power or anything else, a lot of time, all the numbers you see is that what's the price per kilowatt hour? What's the price per kilowatt hour? But what goes into those numbers, right? So some of the things that you've talked about quite extensively uh, as well was about, okay, well, this is the price per kilowatt hour based on optimal conditions, but not including storage they haven't figured out, right? Not including, not including, not including, not including. And, and a lot of the time, one of the biggest areas where I think the public comes to a, uh, I, I would say, an incorrect assessment of what the right course of action is, is because they're simply just not being told the whole picture, but what the actual costs are.
1: Yeah, and even officially, like OPG will say that, you know, Darlington is low or, or let's say Pickering is a low, let's keep it going because it's cheap electricity and we've already got the plant. But in fact, we subsidize that plant. So even if $900 million a year, just to keep it open. So even if we look at, you know, government figures, there's huge subsidies going into these various industries. But then when you look at the entire life cycle from the mining to the transportation, I mean, th- then to the waste, to the accidents, I mean, the nuclear industry doesn't have to get uh, insurance. So imagine, look at the costs of the accidents at Fukushima or Chernobyl. We're talking hundreds of billions of dollars that isn't accounted for when OPG says, oh, it's only eight cents a kilowatt hour. It, it's just a, a
0: well, and I guess, I guess we could be fair to them and say they don't know what the cost is, so how could they include it? But I think that's also that's also largely your complaint is that we have no idea what some of the stuff is going to cost because we haven't even come up with a plan for a whole bunch of it.
1: And, and also they could be a lot more honest. But if they were honest and said, well, it would actually cost $0.15 cents a kilowatt hour to rebuild, given our experience in the past, then they could never get the projects passed. Right. When they're competing with other energy sources like wind, which is half the price, or energy or conservation, which is a quarter of the price. So they have to lie. Right. they have to underrepresent the full costs.
0: And so w- whether we're talking about energy uh, subsidies in this case or, or specifically, I mean, Peabody Energy was guar- guaranteed, I don't even need to look it up, guaranteed, uh, was getting some form of subsidy somewhere for what they were doing despite the, the fact that they're a massive, massive, massive company. Um, is the idea of all these sort of like hidden, you know, it's all the hidden costs, right? And so a lot of the thing, and, and I think this applies more to the fossil fuel industry specifically, um, but with things like, uh, well, actually, no, no, I take that back. It just in a different timescale, uh, with the idea of you know, like I was saying uh, just a minute ago, with all these billions of dollars in in cleanup liabilities. These these cleanup liabilities are not. They're part of the reason why they're not uh, included, and why part of the reason why they're outstanding was, in theory, as far as what we were told from the outset. These, these these are things that weren't supposed to happen, right? This is $2 billion to clean up things that that I'm sure somebody at some point said, no, 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 there's no concern. Uh, we've taken every safety precaution. These are very safe, very, very safe. Don't worry about it, no problem. And now we have $2 billion in, in mine cleanup liabilities. And so there's, there's sort of two parts to it, right? There's the part where... Um, there's the part where this wasn't supposed to happen. And even if someone... Okay, well, fine. We'll throw $2 billion at it. That doesn't mean there's no, we're now back to zero harm. That's... Okay, we're now back to enough reduction in future harm that it's clean, it's clean enough, right? Yeah.
1: Well, the nuclear industry likes to say that the chances of an accident are one in a million. But yet we've seen several large accidents happen in the last 30 years. So, you know, that's how they get their products passed. And, and they... The goal, they want to pass off the decommissioning, the shutting down of the nuclear plants in Canada to the next generation. They're saying, oh, we've got to leave them idle for 30 years, which we know isn't true. And in fact, the international standard is to decommission them immediately. But Canada, OPG thinks that they can let them sit for 30 years and invest the decommissioning fund in the stock market and hope that they can grow, grow more money so that they have more money to decommission in 30 years.
0: Right. Well, one of the things, and just you know, as a brief aside uh, about that too, and one of one of the things I love about, um, I wish Kevin Farmer was here for this. He's our resident mathematician, but. Uh it was just the, how, how easily people misunderstand numbers too, right? So you said that one in a million thing, and I, I don't think you were, you were being hyperbolic. I think no, that was, literally yeah, they've t- said that, right? Mm-hmm. So there's a lot of th- – that's actually not that rare. One in a million is not – it depends how many times you roll the dice, right? So if we're talking about, say, you had a, a set of dice and there was a one in a million chance of getting a specific outset – uh, and and so say, I, I don't know, it was like one, three, whatever. It doesn't matter. A, a specific combination, and that specific combination on the dice roll is one in a million chance. Uh, so you have one in a million chance of rolling it uh, once, but if you roll the die every 10 seconds for 100 years you have an almost guarantee of hitting that problem right so it like there's a lot of other information you need and the second thing too is like think about your lottery chances if you go to buy a lottery ticket the, the lottery chances are, are like one with like 23 zeros in it that's an actual rare event winning the lottery is actually a rare event one in a million would actually be the best lottery odds in ever in history ever those are actually very good odds for an event that you know um is comes out very good so it's just i think a lot of this comes down to some sort of Uh, A convenience between um, people who know what the real risks are, I think, at a level, but understanding that even if they're honest about them, that they know that the public is not well enough informed to really assess that information, And so they can kind of freely, in some cases, you know, of course, we, well, we can talk about uh, people being dishonest or outright lying or misleading or whatever, you know, specific word for whatever specific situation you want to use. But a lot of time they don't even have to because they know that the public won't really understand what these numbers really actually mean. And then we ask the public to go and vote for policy for things that they don't even like they don't understand in the first place. Right. So if the only thing you know about energy is a bunch of numbers that have been quoted about the price per kilowatt hour. And that's the only information you have. And you have no context. You have no, no information about what's been included and what hasn't. Um, how are you really supposed to make any informed decision on that?
1: And, and there's no opportunity for public input anyways. I mean, we haven't been asked, How do we, want it, do we want to go renewable? Do we want to go nuclear? Do we want to rebuild 10 nuclear reactors in Ontario, which is the government's plan? Nobody's been asked that. And there's no opportunity, not even any public hearings, for us to have any input in that mm-hmm. decision.
0: So, uh, I'm going to move now on to, uh, to another story, but I'll just do another uh, quick thing here. Actually, why, you know what we'll do? We'll, uh, we'll, we'll take our quick break there. Alex, please inform us as to our music break, my friend.
2: Uh, so, I'm going to feature some, uh, some music from Kazoo Fest, which recently happened in Guelph, Ontario. And uh, this first band is called Mono, Mauno. And uh, this is a song called Burn This. Let's check it out. <laughs>
0: listening to CIUT 89.5 FM the sound of your city with out further ado, we're going to do something real quick here. So, I'm going to introduce a news story. So, my segue to Brenna, who's now joining us uh, in the studio, is that the news headline I got yesterday, which I love because it throws so much nonsense juice on so many talking points we're used to hearing around right now, which is Saudi Arabia, that liberal bastion of hippies, uh, is planning to uh, put aside $2 trillion, and that's trillion with a T, mega fund for post, uh, post, post oil era, says a deputy crown prince. They did a five Five hour, I believe it says five hours. Absolutely unbelievable. Five hour interview with the Deputy Crown Prince Mohammed bin Salam uh, about their public investment fund, which is going to put aside $2 trillion to help get the kingdom off of oil. So if Saudi Arabia is deciding that they're putting aside $2 trillion to get off oil, that means that Justin Trudeau is going to say what?
3: Justin Trudeau is not going to be happy with this because it appears that pipelines are his new favorite thing, if there were ever uh, a doubt about that. Um, you know, in some ways, I don't like talking about pipelines anymore because i they're not going to be built. Um, we will not let them be built. And. Um, But I do still think it merits discussion that our new – I guess he's still the new prime minister – is really coming in on the side of Alberta and Alberta's um, premier, Rachel Notley, who – you know, all these headlines about division within the NDP after the leadership convention. She called the uh, Leap Manifesto, Naomi Klein and Avi Lewis's project, um, naive. Uh, And so it's interesting we have the exact same, if not even a more pronounced divide between – Alberta and Quebec, who's, uh, you know, the premier of Quebec just just kind of slammed future oil and gas development in the province. Um, and also now, so Manitoba, there's a news story that the Energy East pipeline proposed route um, would cross the White Mud Watershed wildlife management area in western Manitoba, which is actually protected from oil and gas development, like, legally. So... Uh, Either the route is going to have to change, throwing even more time and energy and money into this process, or again, the pipeline is, is not going to be built
0: and uh, the, i mean this really is just an it's 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 an ongoing dance and i find like even just like the last couple months has been really really interesting because we've started to see i think justin trudeau and the, and the local parties uh true colors when it comes to this which is yes we agree all these problems are real but that still doesn't mean we don't want to do these other things which is sort of what i was saying they were going to do bef- way before the election so I told you so uh, but it, it, but at the same time the rest of the world is starts me is been really starting to see the types of announcements that i mean frankly on everybody that has any idea about these issues at all knows needed to happen 10 years ago but they are happening right we're starting to see these chips fall one by one by one by one Um, and it is really interesting and i think the dynamic uh, you know if i put my fear for us being able to deal with this problem in time aside for a minute it's a really exciting like almost reality tv show to watch all these sort of dynamics and who's divesting from what and who's doubling down on what and and, uh, you know, again, a fear aside for a moment is what, a, what an exciting TV show. I, I wish this was a TV show so that I could fully enjoy it for what it was. Uh, we'll have to come back to for more of that in the bonus show. Brendan going to uh, give us a, a, a much more comprehensive overview of that uh, as well. We're going to get into more detail about a bunch of the other stories that you mentioned. You also mentioned one of the other stories that I had flagged, which is the uh, uh, Quebec premier talking uh, uh, about future oil expo- uh, exploration in the province. More about some of those news stories, as I said, in the after show. So if you're looking for more detail... Detail on some of those news stories, uh, go to the website greenmajority.ca. Uh, but without further ado, back to Angela for a moment. You uh, are uh, joining us uh, today again, in case people missed uh, before the break, uh, Angela Bischoff is from the Ontario Clean Air Alliance. Uh, you've won a number of uh, uh, activism awards, have you not?
1: Well, not that I came here
0: to like I, yeah. applaud you. Whatnot, I've been
1: but... in the activist community for a long, long time in several different cities. So. Just bring all that experience to the fore, and I have huge email lists, so I have lots of contacts. Yeah, to vote for me,
0: and I've—I've, I've, uh, <laughs> yeah, well, that's true, of course, uh, and I've—and I've seen you at just about uh, every public event I think I've ever gone to, so uh, a great resource, and thank you so much for taking the time Thanks, this morning Darren. to uh, to talk to us. Uh, so, but let's talk a little bit more specifically for a minute about why uh, the specifically the thing uh, that I saw that uh, where I, where where I asked you to come in and, and join us today, which was uh, we talked a little bit about sort of just general nuclear energy issues here, um, but you sent out a very um, informative uh, pamphlet along with a campaign email recently that I that I found very interesting and, and part of the reason why I found it so interesting uh, was just some of the little, and of course, you, you've, you've become very efficient at writing these little pitch emails. There's a lot of information in, a, in a, like a single page uh, and just some really shocking numbers. And so one of the ones that I, I feel like it was one of those things I maybe heard at some point, but I sort of refreshed my memory and I was like, oh man, yeah, I remember hearing that. That's crazy. Uh, is the idea that uh, sort of two facts that, that sort of combined really I find very impactful, which is that uh, the 45-year-old Pickering, nuclear station has more people living uh, within 30 kilometers uh, than any other plant in North America and it's also one of the oldest can you can you expand on can you expand on that please yeah
1: well when when they built the plant in the they started in the 60s I mean it's Canada's oldest nuclear station they didn't have the huge population density around the plant and they built it closest to where they thought it was the electricity was needed and since that time in the last 45 years the population has grown around uh, the Pickering station such so now it's 30 kilometers from downtown Toronto we can see it on the lakeshore if you walk to the lakeshore you see the plant there you can ride your bike there easily and ride right around it they would never get permission to build a plant that close to a, a city today but that's where we are now more than two million people within 30 kilometers. And that would be, you know, an evacuation zone if there were an accident. And, you know, accidents happen. It's also, you know, it's 45 years old. Candus were designed to be 30 years old when they were first being built. They were designed for a 30 year lifespan. It's now 45 years old. They, they have a license to 47 years old. And the government has indicated that they want to extend it another six years beyond that. So it would be 53 years old mm. when they want to shut it down. And who knows, maybe then they want to extend it even more. And then worse, they to once they shut it down, they want to leave it sit there for 30 years and not decommission it for 30 years because that was the conventional wisdom 50, 40 years ago when they first built it. We're saying decommission it immediately and transfer those jobs from you know, production to decommissioning.
0: Right. And one of the other uh, interesting uh, uh, points that you had in here as well is that we actually end up selling in many cases. Maybe you can expand because I wasn't quite sure on exactly how these numbers broke down. Um, But uh, was it saying it it, it appears that at least at some times we end up selling more energy. We end up exporting more energy than the plant produces even in the first place. So what is the argument for it even being there, even aside from these safety concerns?
1: Well, there's a few things there. The argument, its it makes no, econ- there's no sense in keeping it open. We subsidize Pickering $900 million a year to keep it open every year that it's open. And worse, we don't even need the electricity. We exported last year more electricity than Pickering produces. And, of course, when we export it, it's on the spot market. It's a fraction of the cost of what it costs us to produce that electricity. So it's a loss when we sell it. It's a loss to produce it. We don't need the electricity. So the only the only rationale for keeping it open is to, is to not cause any waves with the nuclear industry, the nuclear law. Lobby is a very, very dominant uh, lobby. We saw Shirelli's having, you know, dinners with the nuclear industry. They buy ads so the media doesn't critique the nuclear industry. Even the NDP won't oppose the extension of Pickering. We're saying shut it down at 2018 when its license extends. Even even uh, the NDP won't. So it won't oppose that, despite the fact that it's subsidized and we don't need the electricity and it's closer to to a huge urban population than any other nuclear station in North America. And it's the fourth oldest nuclear station in in, uh, North America and the seventh oldest in the world. It's time to shut it down. We have a petition close hyphen pick pickering.ca close hyphen pickering.ca that we're asking people to sign on to because the only way we can win su- political support to shut it down because it's a political provincial issue is to show that we have public support. Mm. If the NDP is too afraid to even sign on to it, then, you know, it's because the population hasn't been up in arms and that's the beauty of alternative radio because the mainstream pop the mainstream media won't talk about about these issues because they get Ads from OPG and Bruce Power, lots of big full-page ads. They won't talk about it. We're talking about it here on Alternative Radio because it's listener-supported and it can be independent and not beholden to the in- to the nuclear lobby. Uh, last week, I don't know
0: if I don't know if you caught the show, uh, Angela. I know you're <laughs> super busy and you're you're at least several episodes behind. Uh, but so last week we did a very uh, detailed look into an issue, and, and it was largely about we had, The topic was generally veganism, but we, look, mostly I think more of a meta level. It was actually about nuance. And about details, and I think, and you know, we won't we won't get into a debate about it today. But I, I actually feel that probably I think at a at a meta level, you and I probably actually disagree about some of the larger things about you know whether or not there is a space for nuclear anywhere. But the 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 thing that the reason I'm bringing that up is that I think. Because of that and because nuclear is such an old issue that we have this situation and this is something I bumped into a lot and this is the very this is where I'm drawing the line with the veganism thing, which is that people have decided what side they're on. They've decided that it's safe and it's good and it's great and go away you crazy activists, or they, you know, So people have basically made up their mind, or they're like, it's never okay, it's never okay anywhere. But I think the fact is that whether or not you think that in general, nuclear is a good alternative, it's a good way to get off climate change, or you don't. And again, we're not going to have that debate now. But I think regardless of what side issue that on, you've given a number of very good reasons why that is. this has nothing to do with that whether or not. Pickering should be in operation? And clearly the answer to that question is no. And, and don't confuse, when you're thinking about that issue, don't confuse your position on the larger issue with the case for this particular uh, uh, nuclear plant being clearly a waste of money and clearly a, a safety hazard for the people of uh, the GTA and for Ontario. Uh, and uh, I would I would ask you if you would agree with that.
1: Darren, I, I would agree that uh, completely aside from environmental and health concerns, the plant should be shut down. But uh, the same goes for all the plants. We can replace all of the nuclear reactors with renewable electricity, namely water power from Quebec. They have access. They don't have a market. We could replace our stations one at a time when they come offline, when they come to the end of their lives. Conservation to reduce demand. Made in Ontario, green energy, wind, solar, geothermal, biomass, biogas, all the options. We don't have to compromise with a little bit of nuclear. If there was an accident at a little nuclear, station it would still be catastrophic so i'm holding the line on no nuclear period shut those plants down when they come to the end of their lives pickering is first
0: yeah and i think i think my only the only reason i put it that way was that whether or not you agree with angela on the thing the last thing she said don't let that color your opinion of this specific issue because i think regardless of your opinion on on the larger issue the case is clear this this plant's got to go Great. And I think we can end with that. We can agree with that. that. So uh, th- we'll we'll go he- we'll leave you here because after the break we're going to come back and get joined uh, by Tim Nash. So I will leave a copy and a link to all this information you have given us here today on today's show post as well. Thank you so much for joining us, Angela Bischoff from the OCAA.
1: Thank you so much, Darren and Brenna and the and C R U T and independent media.
2: But without further ado, Alex, please tell us what our second and final music break will be today. Thanks, Darren. I will. Uh, so st- in the still in the vein of Kazoo Fest, this was my favorite show. Uh, from From the festival, and uh, this this band Minotaurs is the brainchild of outspoken Guelph uh, social justice and environmental activist Nathan Lahr. Uh, his band Minotaurs um, played an amazing show in, uh, in Guelph and then another one in Toronto at the Drake Hotel uh, very recently, so they're out doing awesome things, and this is a song called Gold Rush Lady, uh, so let's hear that.
0: stretch here on The Green Majority. I believe we got Tim Nash on the line. Tim, are you there? You do indeed. Thank you so much for joining us, Tim. We're on uh, a tight timeline, so I'm going to get right let you get right to it. You, you're joining Sounds us today good. because you've got a new report. Tell us all about it.
4: Sure. So uh, I think I'm going to be on next week. Uh, so today's just a little teaser. Uh, the latest report of my green transition scoreboard shows more than $7 trillion Whoop. of private money flowing into green sectors. So this whole idea that the green economy, you know, a lot of people are saying, oh, it's the future, it's not going to happen, it's unrealistic for us to have a green economy soon. I can tell you without a shadow of a doubt that it is happening right now to the tune of trillions and trillions of dollars, um, and that transition is happening. So I'm excited to come on next week and, and talk a little bit more about it.
0: And, uh, Tim, I, I, again, we're, we're sort of teasing for next week. I know we'll, we'll get into it more next week, but just the, really quickly this week, I don't know if you saw the headline about the uh, Saudi uh, fund for $2 trillion they're putting aside. Did you see that news?
4: Indeed, I did indeed. And it just shows, I mean, they understand this transition is happening, and it shows the need to diversify. So what they're doing is they're selling off a lot of those assets, and they're realizing, you know, they're kind of uh, uh, hedging their bets against the old fossil fuel economy, and they're freeing up that capital so that they can diversify and make sure that they are a part of the new green economy.
0: Yeah. And I think it's 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 really gonna be interesting and, and I know Brenda's gonna talk more about this in the and the extended version of the show, and I'm I'm sure we'll get to it next week as well. Uh but just uh, I mean, just the, the sort of the optics of that against what we've been hearing from Justin Trudeau and, and Rachel Notley and people like that uh, about, you know, we must pipelines are a must. Don't be silly. Don't be unrealistic. We have to have pipelines. Do, do you think this is going to have an impact on that rhetoric or are they just going to sort of tune that out?
4: I, you know, I think here in Canada, we're behind the times. And I think the reality is that the rest of the world is catching on to this transition and, and what's going on there. Sadly, I think that there are a lot of people here that are still so dependent on the old economy, and they just, it's almost as if they can't imagine the new one. Imagine, you know, think back to when we had those old bulky desktop computers and before the uh, uh, the Internet was as commonplace as, as it is now, and I was running around telling everyone, you're going to have a supercomputer in your pocket right now, and you're going to be connected 24-7. People would have thought I was nuts, right? And in the same way, this idea of having a 100% renewable energy economy, uh, not dependent on anything extracted, uh, uh, any carbon extracted from the Earth's crust. Right now, people don't, they they just almost can't imagine that, whereas there's a a new group of Canadians, and I would certainly put us, and I think probably a lot of your listeners in that category, where we see it as inevitable, that this is happening, this is happening no matter what, and really, it's about getting on board that train. So once again, for me, it comes back to the, sort of the psychological aspect and the fact that we're still kind of talking about building pipelines. Like, come on, get with the time. That's like having a debate about building phone lines, telephone lines, after cell phones have been invented.
0: Yeah. And I, I think, what, I mean, one of the reasons, and I, I don't know if you caught it earlier, Tim, I know you've been meetings all morning, and, and thank you so much for, for taking the time to just even talk to us briefly today. Uh, but one of the things I mentioned earlier, of course, was that you were the uh, still to this day the title holder, the belt holder for the uh, most ever uh, visits here on the Green Majority. You and know it. Part of the reason for that as well is that um, we very much enjoy a good healthy discussion here. Yeah. It's not about sort of just having a single, you know, show point of view and, and we're here to sort of repeat talking points or anything like that. But part of the reason why we've Collected the team that we do is that we like to have some healthy discussion and whatnot. And yeah. uh, you bring a very different perspective and a very different background than a lot of the guests that we have on the show. And I think if, if anybody was going to say to, you know, say to us, you know, you know, uh, you know I believe in climate change and, and I really believe this is an important issue, but you know what? They're just the, the numbers are just there. It is just simply, you know, it's a cold, hard truth that the, simply the best way to deal with climate change is actually to get some oil out of the ground and use that to pay for it, that you would be the guy to say that. And is that true, Tim?
4: Well, uh, so no, extracting oil from the (laughs) the ground—that is not true. What I will say is this, and maybe we can always get into it more a little bit later. But as I have been digging more into the pipeline debate, one sort of contentious issue that I've dug up is that right now one of the players that is actually benefiting the most from not having these pipelines, right, are, are the current refiners, because the current refiners are they're the ones paying a lower price for the Canadian crude versus the sort of uh, the the price of oil on the global market. We are right now selling our Canadian oil at a discount because of the lack of pipelines, because of the lack of of, uh, uh, other markets. And some of the people benefiting from that are our good friends, the Koch brothers. (laughs) So part of this, I mean, it's tricky from my perspective because, you know, if we were... To build those pipelines and get our oil to other markets, it would actually undermine the Koch brothers and their profitability a little bit. Um, but that said, you know, obviously where I come from is this notion that, that, you know, I understand the science of climate change. And I also understand the economy, uh, the economic transition that is happening right now. And I think it's really important to, for, for us to, you know, to use the old Canadian expression, skate to where the puck is headed. And if we're still going to keep having this debate about pipelines about should we or shouldn't we rather than, than the, having a conversation and a debate about the best way of achieving this green transition, uh, we're going to be stuck in the mud for a long time to come. So it's really, you know, from my perspective, it's I, I don't think it's necessarily environmentalism that is going to kill the fossil fuel uh, um, industry i think it's sheer economics and i think what we need to do sort of as the environmental movement is keep reminding people that the jobs are in the renewable energy economy keep reminding people that the investment is in the renewable energy economy and uh, and and really sort of doing everything we can to help this political transition this economic transition this energy transition this transportation transition All this whole evolution that is happening in our society, uh, we need to keep that moving forward.
0: All right. Well, so we'll have to leave it there for now, Tim. But thank you very much for joining us, and you'll be back next week to go through some of the more of the details about the report as well.
4: You know it. Uh, Do you want to just quickly? Yeah, I do want to say thank you, guys, so much for your volunteering effort.
0: Thank you so much, Tim, and we'll we'll talk to you next week.
4: Looking forward to it. So this is where the uh, edited
0: radio version, a little bit choppy up version of the uh, show this week ended but because you are listening to the podcast because you are super awesome uh, the show will now continue without further interruption other than another quick reminder to please join us next week for the party information at greenmajority.ca as well as information about how to become a member of the Green Majority and support our work. Thank you so much and here's the rest of the show.
5: And we're live with the Addendum Show. It's a Affiliate with the Green Majority, but it's apparently called the Addendum Show. Uh, we're back in studio. We're actually so this, it was the CIUT fundraising show. So we're actually doing a little extra bonus show for all the rest of the fine, you fine folks. Uh, and dearda, uh, you know we have to run, but you, but you are will be a new co-host uh, joining us very soon. So just say hi, and then we, Ronnie, we can get a full introduction next week.
4: Hi everyone. My name's is Dearda Lewinata. I'm I'm happy to be back, and I'm happy to to be working on this, and I'll talk to you all uh, next week. So.
1: Amazing.
5: Yeah. <laughs> Fantastic. Thank you very much, Deirdre. Uh, that was as quick as... Yeah, exactly. Now, now, we all, now everyone can wave goodbye to Deirdre. Um, <laughs> so on the show, we're going to jump around a couple different things. Uh, I know that we were... We, we prefitted talking a, bit, a little bit about the $2 trillion mega fund, but we also we got we touched that on that a little bit. Uh, a little bit with... Um, with Tim Nash. Also, just so you know, we do have. Uh, we, 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 I'm joined in studio with people. That's shockingly enough, uh, with Brenna Owen uh, and Sabina. I don't know your last name. I'm so sorry. Huseni. Huseni. Sabina Husani, Amazing. Uh, and also Alex. Alex Ricci is also in here. Uh, and Darren, in case of course, is is hanging out. Darren's teching this one. Alex and Darren have changed sides. So Alex, if you're gonna have be, if you're gonna have like a really long, if you have like t- about a six minute rant about something halfway through for your Darren impression, that would be great. <laughs> I'll do my best.
0: <laughs> I'm just, I'm just going to check my own mic. Ooh, all right. We can hear me. All right. I can jump in when necessary. But so, yeah, I would if I can do uh, Mad Hatter for a second. Change places. Yes, exactly. So Alex is in studio and Darren is attempting to tech. So if the sound this week sucks, not Alex's fault. <laughs> <laughs> Amazing.
5: And if it starts um, to suck,
0: Alex, just switch with you, okay?
5: <laughs> <laughs> um, so... So, so, let's look at the, some of the topics. We, we covered a bit also. We covered, uh, the, the giant coal as well. Uh, so coal and, and in Saudi Arabia have been touched on a little bit. Uh, so let's move on to the, to the next one. Uh, Which, unless, unless Brenna, you had one topic you really wanted to cover, and you might have to leave early. So what was the one topic you really wanted to cover?
3: Well, actually, um, I mean, I I had mentioned just some more of the pipeline debate going on and the national divide, which we've talked a lot about uh, Uh, on the show in past. Um, But I, I wanted to just specifically mention the occupation of INAC, which is happening at the Indian and Northern Affairs Office at St. Clair and Young. It's literally right beside the St. Clair, not the St. Clair West, just the St. Clair subway station. Um, so since 11 a.m. two days ago, so it's actually been 49 and a half hours now, that about 20 individuals, um, I think that number has been up to 30 um, have occupied the Indian and Northern Affairs Office in solidarity and in protest um, for Attawapiskat First Nation. Um, I think a lot of us have heard about the 11 uh, suicide attempts that happened last week now, I guess, at Attawapiskat, which prompted more um, news coverage in mainstream outlets than we've seen recently. But, of course, pointing out that this is not even an anomaly um, in many Indigenous communities and, and reserves in remote um, and isolated parts of, of Canada. Um, so if you have, you know, some good energy, if you've got some snacks, if you've got time, uh, a donation, um, go to INAC. It's really accessible. There's a community. People will greet you. Uh, people will talk to you about what's been going on there. Um a couple of days ago, you know, there was a police response, uh, wa- access to washrooms were were cut off, um, and apparently now food is being allowed in between the period of 9 a.m. and 6 p.m., um, but folks are staying overnight uh, inside as well as outside, so just to kind of draw a connection between climate change and, and the environment and what's happening um, is that you know, the fossil fuel industry, I think, is one of the primary arms of colonialism in Canada. And we see Prime Minister Trudeau pushing pipelines. It means it's in direct contravention of any kind of free, prior, and informed consent for Indigenous communities. And it's going to further jeopardize. Uh, Water like you go to Calgary, the reserve right beside calgary doesn 't have access to clean drinking water, mm-hmm. so um, draw those connections as you will, uh, but I would just encourage everyone to head down there
5: yeah uh, and uh, and to draw this sort of back to a conversation we had even last week. Uh, with in regards to the Panama Papers, just the, the fact that any Canadian or anyone in not even, anyone anyone who lives within the borders, uh, because of course these are we we the, the Aboriginal peoples are are their own nation uh, don't have access to clean drinking water mm-hmm. is unfathomable
3: or safe housing or safe housing or education. Yeah,
5: exactly. or like. The fact that we can't provide what we consider, you know, what ninety nine percent of Canadians consider basic, basic things uh, that they don't even think about when they when they when they turn on, and that we can't provide these for for specific communities, uh, just shows, uh, just shows how 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 how. Sort of the the dream of what Canada is cannot exist unless every single person has access to these things. Like the idea that we are this sort of perfect nation uh, falls down entirely uh, without without unless every single person has access to these sort of things. I think Darren wanted to jump in.
0: Yeah, no, I just uh, I just wanted to highlight something because I've been I've been obsessively paying attention to the uh, American polit- uh, political conversation no. here, and especially uh, especially between. Um, uh, Sanders and, and Clinton, which is that, you know, the idea of the political revolution that Sanders is calling for is that the the thing here, this isn't a matter of like criminal activity in most cases where people are, are, are breaking the law and that we need someone to enforce the law. Uh, because I think if that was simply the case, I don't necessarily distrust Clinton enough to to say that she wouldn't enforce the law. Maybe maybe I'm like I'm skeptical, but I, I don't I don't assume she wouldn't wholesale. The problem, the problem is, and the reason why we need the type of revolution that Sanders is proposing, is that in most cases, this is legal. It's legal to hide your money and not pay your taxes and, and then result in the public not being able to pay for basic services for people. The fact that this has been institutionalized to the point that this is legal behavior, that's why we need a political revolution, not just a politician we think we trust slightly more.
5: Yeah, and to to jump off that on a slightly pet project of mine, which is to slowly burst the bubble of Uber. I'm sorry, Sabina. Uh, look up what the look up what Uber's profit where where Uber is technically now uh, based out of. Uh, is it a tax haven? Yes. Are they avoiding almost paying all taxes? Which I don't know. Pay for the roads they drive on, uh, or the insurance that they force their actual people to maybe not like to t- to get. Um, yes. Uh, this is, this is the, this is kind of thing, and of course it's totally legal. It's not an illegal practice. Uh, but the fact that, uh, that these large companies are just managing to find ways to completely avoid paying for the resources that they're using, uh, is the reason, is part of the reason why, uh, that when you hear the, it's part of the reason why I think the left in general reacts so, like whenever whenever someone uh, on the whenever you get this right wing argument like we don't have enough money to pay for these things we're, we're paying for all these things um, the left sort of I personally cringe because my reaction is always because yeah, you and your friends have decided to not pay your taxes that's why we can't afford these things and of course like there's a level of, of, of which that you know even a perfect amount of, uh, uh, of of paying taxes from these corporations and people wouldn't necessarily fund all of the things you want to do and of course there's a conversation we have to have about this but the idea that this this, this this overarching process of squeezing uh, squeezing all our revenues by saying that we have to give the money back to people who earned it and then saying we can't afford to pay anything is, is the conversation that like if you have that conversation with me then let's have the conversation with me but if you're just going to keep yelling re- respect for taxpayers while directly disrespecting other taxpayers by avoiding your paying your own tax uh, I, th- I will I fundamentally don't understand how we can have a conversation um, sorry, I only was I only I only threw the sorry Sabina because you've previously how much you love Uber, which again there are some really interesting, there's a conversation actually right now going on in City Hall uh, about, about Uber and one of the things very interesting about this is that Uber's transportation system for people with different disabilities mm-hmm. is amazing to the extent in which every single person who had, had, has had use wheel trans or, other, or, or t- the taxi service um, are like it's not even close and it's, it's so much more effective.
6: And this is the, the reason why I love Uber is not from like a social justice point of view, right, of it's course. from an innovation and consumer point of of view me as a consumer because they evade taxes i can pay a lower price on my ride to wherever i need to go and as well as from that innovation point of view they're doing really amazing things with exactly the the accessible accessible driving and you know they're very innovative which is what interests me about uber but of course i mean if they did pay their t- they they shouldn't be exempt from doing their part in society which is what they're doing right now
5: yeah it's a fascinating conversation. like like we can talk about uber forever, but there, we will move on from that uh, and go on to this complete other story uh, which I, I don't know if uh, how many anyone read out on and I'm just sort of looking at it right now, but it mostly because it connects sort of this sort of idea of of, of land defenders dealing with the with larger issues uh, which is about the Kitapawan standoff, uh, which is in the Philippines. And we'll post it on the show notes. Uh, it's the, the real face of the global climate crisis is the, is the headline uh, from Common Dreams. And it's all about that. There's so over 1,000 people on Friday converged at uh, the Mindiola Peace Arch in Manila, uh, following on from a tragic event in Kippawan in, uh, in the island of Mindanao, I shouldn't be done reading this right now. I'm sorry, everyone. On April 1st, uh, where two people were actually killed during a peaceful pro- peaceful protest by farmers requesting government support following a severe drought in their region. Um, and so, this is this is one of the examples. Whenever it says people say people start saying climate change is happening now, this kind of severe drought is what we mean. Um, and then the reaction of the state to sort of violently crack down on people, literally, just saying, "Please help us. You are not. you know, like you're not. You're not. You're not helping us enough." Is the is is again this example of this type of, 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 of power pushing down on the people who are who are first really experiencing this? Uh, and you know, to tie this back to again, part of the, I'm sure if the Manila government had enough money to 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 to, 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 to spread, out, to spread this, the spread the Provide enough water for this. I was like, and again, water is such a difficult issue in the first place because it's it's not like water isn't like money. Money you can transfer very quickly over long distances using the internet. You can't send in water over the internet, um, as California learned, uh, and, and will continue to learn. Uh, and so it's this. These are one of these examples of of, of the frontline communities fighting for uh, fighting for their lives in reality because of different sort of climate impacts, uh, and. And I don't fool – and it's one of the – whenever someone acts as if... Whenever someone sort of says climate change is, is, is a future thing, these are the things to point them to. These are the sort of things to, to really show them. I think Darren would jump in.
0: Yeah, no, I just oh, well, I just wanted to draw another correlation there too, which was with the ongoing Flint water crisis, right? While well, we're talking about water, which is the, a recent study went and they've they've enacted some quote-unquote emergency measures. Somebody went in and tested this water during the emergency service. I, I don't have the details in front of me. I apologize. I'm not well informed as to what those measures were. But the analysis was still not good enough. People are still... Even with the... "Quote unquote emergency relief," uh, they, people are still drinking poison water,
6: and I think this goes back to that that uh, point that we had earlier. I mean, if we live in this North American countries, in Canada and or or America, and people don't even have access to clean drinking water in these countries that we like to say are developed nations, then uh, I mean. This is. These are just basic human rights, and if we can't even provide that to people, then I don't know what what we're doing and what we're providing.
5: Yeah, no. exactly. Yeah, and 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 it's and it's these are these are difficult. Like these are difficult solutions to like what I find interesting about this is it comes down to a bit of a capacity piece as well, uh, which is why people are so consistently warning people of climate change because you know I, I don't know if you've ever been in a in a workplace say where where if everyone is busy. Uh, suddenly, when something gets goes too wrong, no one can pick up that slack. And I think, as a world sort of crisis like this, what's happening was happening in the Philippines right now would could, would could would be seen as a drought that you know there'd be a whole thing. The world would come together. We'd send all you know there'd be a whole bunch of food aid, which you know has has dubious histories of, as a best. But at least very least, there the world would co- would would come together theoretically and, and and provide enough food for for these farmers to get through. What's, what's, what's terrifying about this is that it's not supposed to – the drought isn't supposed to peak for another month or two. Uh, so this is only going to get worse for another month before the rainy season starts um but uh, what what climate change is doing to some extent is if this is happening four five six seven places around the world suddenly the world isn't gonna suddenly it becomes a backdrop to what else is happening and it's not the major crisis that it used to be it's just what we understand as the new normal and in the new normal is suddenly you know hundreds of thousands of people not being able to eat all across the world, and, and governments cracking down on them rather than being able to provide them food, that's what we mean when climate change is going to cause instability, when climate change is going to act, is actually here. These are the things that we're talking about, is the sort of fact that we're looking at these scenarios where, you know, where... where the world can't cope. We don't have the capacity, uh, and so that, which is why whenever someone gets into the, the, the sort of adaptation model, yes, adaptation is important, but adaptation is just is just is just surviving, uh, and surviving isn't good enough for most people because surviving if you are surviving in the West, the people who are not in the West are not surviving, um, and and that's that's even further.
3: And even yeah. just at you know the last three COP negotiations that I've been at, the focus has been on adaptation as opposed to mitigation.
6: Yeah, and and what's really interesting about that is that when these droughts are happening, not only in the um, not only in the Philippines but like everywhere around the world, and it's going to keep happening, and a lot more. Um, like climate change climate change is going to happen in a lot of these places and a lot of people right now say that okay we can't we can't uh, mitigate because we still have to burn fossil fuels because of the economy the economy the economy but the economy will not exist if our entire environment is just completely collapsing within itself we have like climate refugees i mean this is not some sort of doomsday like 200 years 300 years from now this is going to happen soon and if we don't Uh, take care of our environment and if we just stop thinking the economy the economy is within the environment it's actually within our society so we have to look at at sustainability in that way rather than economy first and then the environment and then or, and then society yeah. and then the environment. Economy
3: and also like international security and national security are things that are given more clout in mainstream media and in our government dialogues and it's frustrating to see so many governments the US, Canada um, not recognize that for instance like the Syrian crisis. Mm-hmm. One of the drivers of that is climate change, is desertification, is people moving into the city for food, creating a climate of unrest and and chaos and desperation. So like it's frustrating not to see those languages you know
5: yeah and uh, I, I thought Darren because I know he's chomping at the bit to get in here um, but uh, but but you gave me a perfect segue to, to, to say my favorite my favorite fact uh, which is that over the past I think it started in about 2006 uh, but the Pentagon has named climate change yeah. the number one security threat yeah. year after year they had a whole report and it why like, do so they not big. pay attention to that I know we don't hear about it like if the Pentagon says anything else we go we fly off our exactly. handles to deal with it and yet the Pentagon says we should deal with climate change and everyone's like yeah but really. You know, maybe we should put a solar panel on a nuclear submarine and move on. <laughs> ah. uh, like, it's unbelievable. The amount of work the Pentagon is actually putting together to to on these different topics is absolutely fascinating. It's unreal. And, like, generally speaking, I would love to, like, the United States should not be spending as much money as it is on on the military, but if it's going into climate change, which the of it is right now, it's like, why aren't we listening to the people who, like, you listen to the security threats and every other time listen to security threats. You don't listen to it when the Pentagon says climate change and it's Ridiculous, Darren.
0: Yeah, if climate change was a country, we would have already, or the Americans already would have bombed it into <laughs> like nihilism right now. I, 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 I was, I was going to jump in, but then I, I was happy to bite my tongue because I was actually trying to provoke Brenna anyway, uh, <laughs> which was something you said earlier. Um, you mentioned one of two uh, key quotes from Notley. One of the, you mentioned the naive one, where she said that the Leap Manifesto was naive. The other word that was there was uninformed, and that's where I would really like to know. Okay, really, okay, name anything you think was uninformed in that leap because
3: and how are you more informed
0: yeah well and so what exactly like give me so what specifically did you think was unfactual in that manifesto now we didn't actually spend a ton of time on this uh this was before a lot of our new volunteers joined us Stefan and i talked about it a little bit when it came up not a ton I, i'm not super and if longtime long-time listeners of the show will know i'm not super big fan of like flowery language and like you know people power and not the ideas behind it but just sort of like talking like that isn't it's not really my style But as far as the actual content in there is bang on. So I dare notely name a thing that you think was wrong in that report as far as factually wrong. I dare her to name something because she can't. I know that she cannot because there are no wrong facts in there.
5: Well, yeah, that's a that's a great segue to, to The Leap, which was going to be the last with, thing. Sorry, let me clarify. Anyway,
0: with regards to the science. Right.
5: <laughs> um, which is – yeah, because that's what's a fascinating, right? Is we're looking at uh, – well, the, I think the naive is is is, is that if I was going to give her the benefit of the doubt – well, she's probably actually just pandering to her out base. But like if you totally. – if, if, yeah, exactly. But if it's naive in any way, it's naive in the idea that uh, – well, like the, the, the NDP – Albertan NDP cannot support it, and like, it's politically, it's going to like, it, like, and as much as, as much as, uh, like, I'm with Darren. I think, all, I think every single thing that says is, is in the leap. I'm like, yeah, that, that's where the direction we need to be headed. um But it definitely, I think, what's interesting is that, like, the we, we sort of the conversation I think in the NDP right now is literally, do we want to be a party that really stands by our deals, and that's a good percentage of the party. A good percentage of the party wants to stand by the deals and actually run. But what's interesting, I think, in the Alberta is Alberta, the NDP. Is is just sort of the left uh, and the left is comprised of a far wider range of, uh, of people than, 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 than how the trad- federal NDP sees itself Right. Because the federal NDP uh, is is left of the liberals and, and 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 people want the federal NDP to have sort of to be the to be the, the sober voice in the room in reality. Um, whereas in Alberta, the NDP is the only option. The, the, the liberals have no shot. Uh, and so I think the the coalition that exists in Alberta for the NDP is a much different coalition that exists. There's a different party. It's just a fundamentally different party um, than that than exists in this sort of thing. And I think. Uh, at the same time, I'm I'm fascinated by the amount of vitriol uh, that's coming out against this sort of thing from mainstream media. Like you just showed the McLean's thing. So yeah, sorry, there uh, was
3: a Macleans. A friend of mine who lives in Calgary actually posted um, the m- cover of McLean's coming out later this month. Yeah, how to kill the NDP and Avi Lewis and Naomi Klein are literally right beside the headline uh you know how to kill the ndp do do poorly in uh the last election turf your leader and adopt like an eco agenda right well i don't think that the poll to the center over the last couple years treated the federal ndp very well either
5: yeah well exactly that was that was it or 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 in ontario in reality you, you sort of see what ndp did on ontario and they got tanked in part because they ran left, they ran right of the liberals, and, and on
3: some things,
6: yeah.
5: Uh, yeah, they, well, they, yeah, they were against the Green Energy yeah. Act. They were, they, they had a bunch of other random things that sort of they. In some way, the liberals sort of forced them to do it because liberals ran a really left budget, and the NDP had to had to had to be different in some way. Um, but like. But like yeah, but is that like if the NDP it's it's what's really interesting is we're acting as if this question is I guess I sort of question I, I have what's I find interesting about this whole conversation is it really comes from a party based focus. It's like the NDP are now a thing that have opinions rather than be made, being made up of whoever happens to be in that space, right? And it's and it sort of ends up it sort of falls into this weird I don't know why we're even talking about it to some extent. And that, like, sure, I guess who decides who's in power, but at the same time,
3: what is a party made of? People who have opinions. Uh I cannot stand partisanship. And I come from, like, I studied politics in undergrad. I have a lot of friends who are variously partisan, um, a lot of them NDP. And they're all, like, either incredibly frustrated or they toe the line kind of blindly, to be completely honest. Mm. So...
5: And exactly And it comes in, And you see that everywhere Like I, I was I was, listening to, I was Recently listening to A video of a guy Who was arguing Why conservatives Should support Trump and Which is again Ridiculous I'll so don't get into it But like <laughs> His argument was literally That Trump was the people That the left was most scared of And therefore was the person We should support That was the only argument The argument wasn't that He thought his policies were good The argument wasn't anything Beyond the fact that The liberals are scared of Trump They should support him Which comes from this idea This partisan idea That the only goal of politics Is to destroy the other parties um, uh, which is fundamentally ridiculous if you actually want good governance if the goal is good policy and good governance, partisanship goes a hundred percent against that there's just no there's no value in partisanship uh, in, in in creating good governance uh, but when you see stories or like when you, when, you, when you see stories about sort of what the what the NDP like this will kill the NDP but if the if, like if the if this will kill the NDP, but we still get a strong progressive movement in in Canada that actually takes environment seriously and stuff like that, the people who would refuse, who would not want that, like the people who would would be like, you know what, I would rather have the NDP in power and have nothing f- move forward than have the NDP not in power, uh, but actually get action on climate change and actually get these policies that we actually believe in through, are useless sets of people. Um, like like, I oh, mean, I'm just am yeah, I'm throwing I'm spitting fire all over. <laughs> <laughs> I just called the whole bunch of useless people but my point really is that like I understand that the argument from partisan is that the, that supporting a party is the only way that our system works and all this sort of stuff and I get that but I think that like your central goal has to be the policy is not the party and your central goal is the party then you've just chosen a sports team at random and the Toronto Blue Jays should not be running the city of Toronto
4: yeah, I
0: just I, I just want to jump in. Well, as a quick aside, one of the things I've noticed, and I kind of really like uh, the the dynamic between Stefan and I, where one of us will say something super incendiary, and the other one will try and back it up, and we just kind of <laughs> take turns every week. Stefan's been on a roll the past couple of weeks. Don't get sent in more trouble there, Stefan. Uh, so I actually wanted to. I just I didn't really have anything I wanted to say, but I wanted to redirect actually to uh, to give Alex a, a question, and then and then maybe Sabina, you can think about it while he's answering, and see if you have an answer to this question as well too. But so I mean, any longtime listener of the show, or even a recent listener of the show, has heard Stefan and nine's opinion on this issue uh we just heard brenna's uh comments on that and and she has to slip out uh so but i wanted to get um i wanted to get alex's opinion and, and and maybe if sabina has a comment on this as well as to like how do you how do you personally feel and then how within your peer group and the people that you interact with socially um how do you find that sort of adherence to this sort of uh uh, a sort of two questions, I guess. One of them is sort of interest in in politics, and two is like how do you feel and how do you see your peers feeling about um, that idea that that Brenna brought up, which is about the sort of adherence to parties. Do you do you see do you feel and do you see your peers feeling that? that these sort of changes, the change we need will come by encouraging the existing parties to sort of adopt, you know, by pushing them into the right positions? Or do, or do you sort of more buy into this, you know, they're all going to keep going around in circles forever and what we need is some sort of political revolution that really either, you know, another party or some way to force them or, you know, what is, I guess, what is your model of change with regards to your belief in the political system, specifically here in Canada?
2: Um, well, I, I definitely uh, am interested in politics and try should I use this mic? No, you're good. Oh, I definitely, uh, I definitely am interested in politics and try desperately to stay informed. But I find sometimes it's hard to uh, to like wade through the deluge of sensational headlines uh, and like ridiculous claims. I mean, I, I feel I also feel like I'm uh, I'm more interested the more entertaining and sensational. Uh, it is despite knowing that that doesn't necessarily lead to good governance, as we've as we've discussed. Um, so one, one thing I, I was thinking while Stefan was uh, was ranting was um, what would happen if the Green Party were to be a little bit more partisan and to and to take an, an approach of attacking uh, everybody else for not trying hard enough. Uh, and also for abandoning good governance in uh, in pursuit of trying to win. Basically, uh, I found that Elizabeth May's campaign in the federal election was very respectful, and it was almost like she like although she brought up un, like without question the the most interesting and thought provoking uh, questions in the debates. Uh, she was very respectful to the other leaders, and it seemed like she knew her place as the voice of reason but the person who also didn't have a shot of getting elected and i just like i i it made me it made me respect uh her approach and 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 i mean i i loved her and i i wanted to vote for her if i didn't if i if i thought that there was not too much at, at stake uh to try to to try to oust the conservatives um but i i just wonder if if an approach of uh starting to point fingers at everybody starting to disrespect all of the other politicians in the country who aren't uh who aren't doing enough uh in pursuit of good governance and and just trying to win the elect the next election uh how how that might play in the green party's favor and and maybe uh, also start to hold them more accountable for uh, for their lack of uh, action, especially regarding climate change.
0: Hmm. Uh, Sabina, can I ask you the same question?
6: Yeah, you can definitely ask me the same question. I don't know if I have a great answer for you. To be to be completely completely honest, I come from a very different background. Like, I'm purely scientific, so I really. have not well versed in politics And the people that I really hang out with Are either care about business Or care about science So I think now that I'm learning a lot About the political landscape And what's really happening out there Which of course affects all of the different uh, laws And the, the The scientific community, of course. But I think for me, I've always been interested in it from a social justice point of view and from a humanitarian point of view. I would just like to live in a country where we care about human rights. And I think that's as baseline as it possibly gets for me. And I think some of my friends can can be partisan, but I don't really talk to them about those types of issues. I really want to talk about more human issues or scientific issues or things like that so yeah
2: great uh back to Alex yeah um what did I want to say (laughs) (laughs) um I forget sorry if I think of it I'll tell you before the end of the show
5: all right amazing uh, well, uh, you have about five. <laughs> I'll, start ca- I'll start the countdown now. <laughs> um, thank you. Uh, so, so, just to make sure, was there any other topic that we did not cover in the show that you wanted to get to?
6: No, I, I'm. I think that everybody had everything covered. I, you guys mentioned during the radio show about the bankruptcy of the very large coal coal power plant, uh, coal, coal producers. So, I think that that's. I'm really happy that that's happening and then it's kind of, even the business itself is kind of moving towards a renewable energy future and even though maybe some of the politics behind it are uh, kind of sketchy but I think that having all of these bankruptcies bankruptcies and showing that um, this is actually not economically feasible. I think that I really like to see that in the news, and it shows people that, you know, it's really important to divest, that if you really want return on your investment, you invest in renewable energy, do not invest in coal, no matter how clean they think that they, they portray that coal to be or they portray that, you know, fossil fuel to be. So I'm really happy to see that, you know, these large companies are going bankrupt as... Ter- terrible as that sounds
0: yeah and i actually i actually have one really quick final thing too then we'll, we'll go to him i just, I just wanted to mention if it, it was look on the show post for it, something i thought was really funny somebody tagged me this morning uh on it uh which was uh there was a there was a uh, I don't remember i have no idea who the person was but somebody was uh, you know doing the usual nonsense about oh come on it's it's only you know corrupt scientists that support climate change really there are no scientists and even nasa says there's blank 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 <laughs> and then nasa the official nasa account went on and said stop lying about what nasa says and just smack them down it was awesome
2: um yeah well i i wanted to answer darren's uh original question a little bit better and uh there was there was sort of a perfect uh segue from what sabina was saying uh about the economy i my friends and i don't talk a lot about politics anymore i feel i feel like uh, we're losing faith in our political system a little bit and and i'm sort of more looking to the like free market economy system that is in place here that everybody puts so much faith in uh, to to solve issues related to climate change and i mean i i can't say that i trust the system as it is now but at least it has the potential for for a more rapid change so oftentimes when i talk politics with my friends uh it's it's usually very shallow uh discussions about about headlines more so than deeper political issues because i think we're we're all just like we've grown up in a, an era when politics are just not not trustworthy for the type of change that like as young people we dream of as being possible mm-hmm. and and i, I think that personally i i'm starting to look at other other means of getting things done mm-hmm. even if it's sort of a lesser of two evils type of thing at yeah, this point
5: for sure and I, I will close the show uh, with with two quick thoughts the first is if you want to get involved in politics uh, show up at st. Clair station uh, and join and join in actual in actual direct action that's the kind of stuff that that we've seen uh, over and over actually get some action done get, get something done um, does I and mean, gets things done that people say would never happen and the second to go back on the, on, the, on the markets points is that I think especially with coal and, and as you're seeing especially with Amazon Levins has a great talk about oil, the same sort of thing, which is that if the market decides we win, if the market decides that fossil fuels are, are, are going to stay in the ground, the second the market decides that... We win because the money drops out, and suddenly it's a whole different cabal game, and we're playing a very different game. Uh, and so, part of the whole thing is 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 talking about this fact that like that's that's it. That's the something that that's as much as that's not like as much as that's a, like a, it's, a, it's a very capitalist approach to the system. But right now, is, where where we look at this right now is that if the, the second the market thinks that 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 this money that this this oil is going to the ground, they all get out of it, and all the money to, to develop new oil stuff is gone. All the money is. is, is, is Everything else like that is gone. And if I can say, to tie that to the leap, and then to close out the show, if there's one point that I find so fascinating, it's that right now there aren't a number of pipelines you can make to decrease the cost of Albertan oil to below what the, what we're to, to below what we're selling per barrel right now. Uh, no number of pipelines can actually make uh, the tar sands oil actually cheap enough to compete with Saudi, uh, Saudi Arabia and, and, and Iranian oil. Uh, and so the idea that, that oil is our future requires an understand. It requires a whole different world that we don't live in right now. Uh, and if you want to talk about naive or, or incorrect, the, or uninformed, <laughs> look at the price of a barrel of oil and tell me how we're going to get that. Uh, and with that, thanks so much for the green majority. Uh, thanks for all our community radio stations, which I believe will be hearing this show. Uh, as well as the podcast. Thanks so much, guys. Have a great great, great green week. See you real soon. Thanks, man. <laughs> you know why
2: I always stumble on that. Step. Yeah, great, great green three, week. green week, okay?